This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, good afternoon. My name's John Batten. I'm part of the eldership team in Jubilee Derby. And it is my privilege and pleasure to introduce Dave Fellingham, and his wife Rosie this afternoon who are going to be taking this seminar. So I've been given some notes about Dave, and in fact I've known Dave, he doesn't know this, I've known Dave for many, many years, because Dave used to be one of the speakers at Downs Bible Week. Does anybody else here of that age, that rem- look, oh, that is impressive. <laughs> Dave's got his entourage with him, they're everywhere. Oh, really impressive. So yeah, I'm, I remember Dave and Rosie speaking on children and family at Downs Bible Week many, many years ago, and uh, some of the formative things in our marriage and our, bringing up our children. So um, it's great to have you both with us. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dave, and I didn't write this, okay, so I hope some of it's true, but I'm going to read it anyway. So, so, so Dave is actually based in Lifespring Church in Horsham. I think that's already been made plain, and he's responsible mainly for organizing evangelistic events. He also does Alpha, teaching on a Sunday, and is one of the tutors for their worship academy. He's also a well-known musician, I'm sure you know that, and a songwriter, a worship leader, and a a jazz trumpeter. And he's also a gifted and prophetic preacher and teacher, which is just as well. Otherwise, we're going to be in for a rather long afternoon, so that's really good to hear as well. Uh, Dave's international ministry focuses on Canada, amongst the many countries he visits, and he's married to Rosie, and they have two children. Luke and Nathan, who are part of the Christian band Fatfish, those that you remember Fatfish. I think they finished about 2014, Dave, is that about right? Yep. Uh, And Dave is fondly referred to as one of the founding fathers of New Frontiers, being part of the eldership in what was CCK down in Brighton. So we're very grateful for you both being with us today. And Dave, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to you to take us through your seminar. Gosh, I hardly knew myself after that. <laughs> well, in all the many conferences I've done over many years, um, I've usually found that the session after lunch is the most difficult one to do because we're all, you know, we've all had a great morning session and wasn't that great this morning? Fantastic. I mean, for me, it was like a, a breath of fresh air. Um, and then we have lunch and... Uh, then we go to sleep. So I, I'm looking, I'm watching. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. I might give some opportunities for questions because one of the differences between a seminar and a preach is, of course, that I mean, the word seminar is where it's the same word we get seminal from. Uh, it's like for planting seeds and for preparing ground so that things can grow. So I do want to try and serve you and, um, in a sense, to coin a phrase, scratch where you're itching. And uh, if there are any questions, um, then I'm happy to take them. Um, But you will find I'm like a train when I get going, so I may forget. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to stop and ask me something, that's fine. Well, we're looking at the spirit-filled life, but I want to look at it from uh, a fairly practical perspective and to give us some ways of looking at how we can live, not just by exercising the gifts of the spirit 
in the meeting and living um, in uh, the church environment, but spilling out into the world and spilling out into the way we export what we have. But there will obviously be some crossover between what we do in church and life in the Spirit in church and uh, life in the Spirit out in the world. There's obviously going to be some crossover there. But uh, first of all, just to say that when you are filled with the Spirit, you remain filled with the Spirit, okay? When you're baptized in the Spirit, you remain baptized in the Spirit. And it's not about feeling. It's not about whether you feel the emotion of it. If God fills you with His Spirit, you are filled with His Spirit. So then what about when it says, be being filled with the Spirit? Well, we can look at that from two perspectives. There is no doubt that in our Christian lives, we do sometimes wear ourselves out, the routine of daily life, using up our energies in church life, and then you've got family life and work. We do get exhausted, and God does come to us again and fill us again, and that's completely okay. And when we look through the book of Acts, we see that there were various times when the apostles were filled with the Spirit. So you get that in Acts chapter 4, for instance. They were praying, and uh, if you're in the Derby church, I'm going to be preaching on that passage tomorrow. Um, they, they were praying, and then they were all filled with the Spirit. So that was sometime after Pentecost. And uh, uh, if you've been around for a number of years, especially if you were around in the mid-90s when the Holy Spirit was moving, it's like we came to every meeting and expected to be filled, with, filled again. Any of you remember those days? Well, God hasn't changed, and we can be filled again, and that is okay. And these are what we might call crisis experiences of the Spirit, where the Spirit comes upon us. But there is an ongoing walk in the Spirit. So everything that we do is affected by the Spirit, and we can be filled with the Spirit in another sense. So in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the tense of the verb to be filled there is what is called the present continuous. It is be being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing thing, but it's not in the sense of I'm empty, so I've got to be filled up. It's in the sense of being preoccupied with. Now, my lovely wife, Rosie, is sitting here. I actually do very clearly, and so does she, remember the night we met. And from that moment, I was filled with Rosie. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I went home that night, and my my sister was there, and I said, I've just met this amazing girl. You know, I was in the sixth form, and in my rough notebook, you know, I would write her name on the front. So I'm an old romantic, really. <laughs> so you can be filled with the Spirit in the sense of being preoccupied with the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit in that ongoing sense. 
speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So maintaining your life of worship, not just when you are in the worship time, but as you are living in relationship with God, you are a worshiper of God, and to be a worshiper of God means not only that you sing your songs and go like this in the meeting, it is that the, everything you do, your whole uh, round of life's activities are conducted in the realm of the Spirit. So you draw on the Spirit's help. Now sometimes we don't necessarily have a consciousness of the Spirit's presence, and that's where we do need to believe that God is omnipresent. Of course, He is. He is always there. The psalmist says, if I take the wings of the morning, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Where can I flee from your spirit? The answer is, you can't. And sometimes when I hear people say, Lord, we just come into your presence, it makes me wonder where on earth they've been then, because <laughs> he is always there. Um, but it is, of course, in meetings like we've had this morning and uh, conferences like that, and it should be every time the church is gathered, we do have that experience of the manifest presence of God. So it's not just that he's omnipresent, but that he is manifest, and there will, there will be degrees of that. So in revival, you get an, an extremity of degrees of that. But it should be our regular experience as we gather as churches to encounter God by the Holy Spirit when we meet together. But when we are in the daily round of life, we should still have a Holy Spirit consciousness and realize that he is there as our comforter. As our, and remember the word comfort doesn't mean a there-there sort of comfort. Um, you know, if you've ever seen the Bayeux Tapestry, uh, which is in Normandy, um, there's in, in Latin, it's, it's written across the bottom, the archbishop comforts the troops. And there he is with a spear, and he's poking it at the troops. He's comforting them, he's prodding them to in, in, into action. So there is that sense of comforting. So the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us and encourage us. And even when we are not feeling that God is present, the fact of the matter, he is. And so we can draw on his strength. So, uh, and that is part of our life of worship as well. So when we consider the word worship, we tend to think of like when Jesus said to the woman at the well um, that the true worshippers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. The Greek word is proskuneo, which means to come towards, to kiss. It has a sense of intimacy. The heart's involved. The emotions are involved. And that is what worship is. But when Paul in Romans 12:1 says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship, a different Greek word is used for worship there. See, one of the poverty of the English language is that we will often use only one word, but in Greek and Hebrew there are lots of words. There are over 30 different Hebrew words for worship and about six or seven Greek words. So the word there that's used in Romans 12 is the word latreo, which means 
everything that you do, the whole round of life's activities. So everything you do, the way you drive your car, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you do a good day's work, the way you enjoy your leisure activities, the way you live your life becomes worship because the Spirit of God is within you and that helps to keep you from sin and unrighteousness and you, you walk with God in all of those situations. You may not necessarily have a God consciousness every moment because it's difficult to live at that level. I certainly can't, and I don't know if you can, but I'm sure you'd agree with me. But if you are in a situation where you need God to turn up, he's there, and so you, you can draw on him. So we are filled with the Spirit, and there is this crisis experience of the Spirit, the baptism in the Spirit. Of course, we're born of the Spirit. We're baptized in the Spirit. But then there is an ongoing life in the Spirit. And that ongoing life in the Spirit affects our life in the church. It affects our relationships one with another in the church. So there is the koinonia of the Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit. But it should also affect the way we live our lives. So I'm going to unpack that, that theme. So to launch us into this, we're going to just read a passage of Scripture from John chapter 2, and it's the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. So, on the third day, so this is John 2, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, there is a, a massive theological debate about the humanity of Jesus. You know, were there times when in his humanity he displayed his divinity? I want to focus I'm, I'm not going to enter into that debate now, by the way. Um, but in, Jesus was thoroughly, 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 thoroughly human. Okay? He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He was a man. Now, reading between the lines in this story, I don't actually think Jesus said to himself, I'm going to go along to a wedding and I'm going to turn their water into wine and to manifest myself as the Son of God. I don't think he was thinking like that. 
I think it just so happened that his mum was going to this wedding, he goes along, his disciples tag along, and he just happens to be there. And it's almost as though the scenario unfolds. And what he does, because it's, it's like he's almost reluctant to start with to even get involved in this, it's almost like, uh, might almost seem like he's a reluctant guest um, and, uh, or reluctantly there. But he turns this occasion into something very, very special. And what he does becomes a sign. Now, it's interesting when we use the word sign in, in the Bible, we talk about signs, wonders, and miracles. And we often use that expression together, but there's, there's kind of different meanings to those words. Now, a sign is a work of power in the physical realm, illustrating a principle that is operative in the spiritual realm. So I'll say that again. A work of power in the physical realm illustrates a principle that is operative in the spiritual realm. So Jesus is in this situation. It's a life situation, and he transforms it by his presence, and it becomes a sign. And one of the signs is it illustrates life in the Spirit, so we are more than just being born or baptized in the Spirit. We actually live with the new wine transforming us inwardly for our everyday living. So in whatever situation we are in, God can use us. So before I went into the ministry, I was a school teacher. I was head of music in a high school in Brighton. And um, I'd actually had... Uh, a period of about six years or so where I wasn't really walking with God. And it was at the beginning of that time when I was teaching. I wasn't really walking with God. I was trying to make it as a professional musician. And um, I was being invited to conduct symphony orchestras, playing rock bands, jazz bands. And uh, I was a classical composer, you know, writing what I now call plinky-plonky music, you know, that's, uh, you know, John Cage-type type stuff that nobody ever wanted to listen to. But if you were going to be a professional musician, you had to do it because that's what everybody did then. And uh, I was really trying hard to make that. And it's not that I'd rejected God. God was just on the back burner. I just stopped going to church, and I was involved in, in music. And then God got hold of me in a nightclub um, when I was playing jazz piano for... A quite a prestigious, quite a prestigious gig. At, actually, it was for the cast of the first railway children film with Jenny Agata, and they had they had the premiere in London, and they bowled down to Brighton for the um, for the cast party af afterwards. So I'd been booked to play jazz piano, and at about two o'clock in the morning, God spoke to me and said, "David Fellingham, what are you doing here? And what am I doing here?" and through the next little while, it brought me back to God. Now, I'd been baptized in the Spirit when I was 18. And now, I've having had this period of time where I'd been not walking with God, now, was I still baptized in the Spirit? So I had this big question. Am I filled with the Spirit? Can I speak in tongues? I had spoken in tongues. And 
I just started speaking in tongues again. I was filled with the Spirit. So when I went back to my, my school, I began to tell the kids about what had happened to me. I told the headmaster what had happened to me. The headmaster said, could you stand up in school assembly and tell your story? So I stood up and told my story to, to the kids in assembly and established a Christian union and several, several kids got, got saved. Now that was 40 years ago. Do you know, I still get kids finding me on Facebook and Googling my name and saying, um, you had a big influence on me at school. I'm now in my 30s or 40s and I've become a Christian. So that so they didn't become Christians then, but they've got in touch and said they, they've become Christians. Now, the interesting thing is that changed the dynamic of how I was at school, and I was seeking to, to live not just now as a professional musician and having kids get their GCE music and A-level music and all that stuff. Now, I was there to bring them to Jesus, and um, that, that's how I sought to live my life. Well, one day the headmaster came up to me and he said, um, Mr. Fellingham, I, I, I know that you are a committed Christian. Um, I don't know if you can help us with this situation that we've got. Now, there was a boy in the school who was, um, he was very good-looking, 16-year-old, captain of the soccer team. Um, he was the... You know, all the girls had a crush on him and, uh, you know, all the younger kids looked up to him. He was a, a really kind of, uh, well, he was a bit like Troy in High School Musical, which I know is very sad that I've seen it, but I have got grandchildren. Um, uh, he was that kind of a boy. And the, the headmaster came to me and he, he said that um, he, he's gone into a terrible fit of depression and anxiety and uh, we've got the professional counsellors in and uh, they don't know how to help him. You're a Christian, do you think you may be able to help him? So I said, well, I, I can try. What, what do you think the problem is? He said, well, he's been playing with Ouija boards and um, the, he's been winning money on horse races um, with the spirit telling him which horses were going to win. And then this spirit indicated that he was going to die of, uh, of cancer. And he's in the grip of fear. Do you think you could help him? I said, yeah, give me a room and don't ask any questions. Now, I'm, I know that you would never get away with that today. <laughs> but what that was, was a life situation in which I needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the power of the Spirit is for us in the whole realm of life's activities. If you want to read a good book on life in the Spirit, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' Ephesians series, and there's, there's five of them, um, but if you want to read one that is particularly good, it's Life in the Spirit in Marriage, Home and Work which just about says it all about the purpose of being filled with the Spirit. So then, I want to move on and look at this under three main headings, if we've got time for this. Living with a kingdom perspective. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we have a statement, a great theological statement from Paul about life in the Spirit. Now, Ephesians 1 is a very key chapter in the Bible because we get what the Father does for us in our salvation, what the Son does for us in our salvation, and what the Holy Spirit does for us in our salvation. And in the bit about the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, or some versions say, as a guarantee of our inheritance. Now that Greek word guarantee is the word for a down payment, a deposit, some modern translations put. And what this is, is a deposit that is in kind for what you are going to eventually pay. So if you are going to buy some sheep and you're going to give 10 camels for 100 sheep and you put one camel down as a deposit, you've got to pay with nine other camels, not with eight camels and two donkeys. That won't do. Okay, so... Paul uses that uh, legal term, and he says that when... So what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is a down payment, it's a deposit of heaven, of our future inheritance, into the present. So the Holy Spirit brings heaven into us. It brings eternity into us. It gives us our inheritance now. Now, we haven't got it all but we've got enough of it to know that it's pretty good and that life in the Spirit means that we see things now from a heavenly perspective. So we are no longer merely human. We are human, but we've got this incredible spiritual dimension. You see, God's made us to be spiritual beings. He's made us not just to have an intellect and emotions and our will and our whole psychological build-up. He's made us so that we can have this spiritual dimension. So when we are filled with the Spirit, heaven is enhanced to us. We see the realities of glory with us and we live supernaturally. So we are no longer living by a materialistic, secular worldview. By, we're no longer living by the rationale of our education system and political system and philosophical systems. We are living in a different dimension. And this is why engaging with the Holy Spirit when we read the Bible is important. The Bible is God-breathed what we call Theonustos, God breathed. So when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is active interpreting it. Now, it doesn't mean that we understand every word, every sentence, every verse, or even every chapter we're reading. But when you read the Bible through, the Spirit is acting within you and interpreting it to you. And so when you live your life, there is an activity of the Spirit. So... Um, there are angels. There are angels sent to help us. You know, I was driving down a street in Brighton a, f a few years ago, and as I was driving down, there was a particular, um, some very, very strong kind of opposition to the church that I was in, coming from the local council uh, and so on. And um, 
I remember spending a lot of time really praying about this, and our elders were. And there was one day I was driving down this hill, and if, you, if you've ever been to Brighton, there's a ridge of hills known as the Downs. I suddenly looked across the top of the Downs, and there was a whole host of angels and chariots, a whole host of them. I could see them right across the room, right, right across the uh, room. Maybe there's some in here now. Right, right, right. Uh, wow. There are. Okay, anyway. Right, right across the down. There were these angels, and it was like an incredible reassurance that God has his power. He has his armies. Um, I'll just tell you a, 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 a little story about something that happened with me and Ro Rosie. Um, every year, Rosie and I run ski holidays. So if you want to go skiing this winter, talk to us, and uh, we can fix you up with a holiday. But um, anyway, we, we usually drive, and um, normally I have a four-wheel drive car, but this particular year I, it, was a, it was a Citroen Picasso, which performs quite well in the snow normally, and I'd got snow tires on it. But there was one morning when it snowed incredibly heavily, and... Um, I got out, confident that my snow tires would get me uh, out of trouble. Well, they did so far, um, but when I'd got along this country lane, and the snow was about that deep, um, I was feeling, you know, I'm a rally driver here, I'm doing this, you know. Um, we had to come onto another road, and I didn't make it. And the car wouldn't go up the slope onto the main road, so we slipped back, and the I had to reverse back down this country lane, which was just had room enough for two vehicles. The car was laden because we had all the provisions that we needed for the chalet and the eight or nine guests who were going to be coming and staying in our chalet. So my car was really, really heavy. Well, Rosie and I got out. We got the snow chains out. And uh, you would have been amazed because my, my hands couldn't get the snow chains around the wheel. Rosie has got smaller hands than me. So there, there's this old couple out in the snow, snow chains, Rosie trying to get her hands around the wheel, laying under the car. I mean, it, was a, it must have been quite an extraordinary sight. We couldn't do it. Anyway, the, the whole scenario, and I'll cut it short, the whole scenario ended with Rosie going back to the place we'd been staying in this village, and um, I was left with the car wondering what on earth I was going to do. So I got out of the car, and I walked back down the lane, and I noticed that the snowplow had cleared a great space um, just a little bit, um, just a few minutes before this had all happened. So I thought, if I get in my car and reverse as fast as I can, because it was downhill, I could reverse down the, the hill. That, it would go down the hill. If I could reverse as fast as I can and hit the brakes, I can do a 180, and then I can go straight and at least park the car, because it was in quite a dangerous position where I was. So I got in the car, accelerated as fast as I dared, and was just about to hit the brakes to do my rally 180, when to my total amazement, across a field, um, there came this huge 
Audi Quattro. Now, an Audi Quattro can manage this. Okay? He was coming across at the same angle that I was going, and I knew he wasn't going to stop. So what did I do? So I had to stop. So the car kind of skidded, and I was broadside now across the road on a bend, and it was snow and ice. The bend was blind. The Audi Quattro had disappeared. And to be honest, it was a very, very frightening situation. And uh, whatever I did, the wheels would spin. And I just, I, I prayed this prayer. It's the only time I've ever prayed a prayer like this. I said, Lord Jesus, please send me an angel and get me out of this. And the next thing I knew, is, honestly, it was as though two big hands came behind the car and pushed me into the right position. I was able to call on God in that situation. Now, the thing is, that was an exceptional situation, but if I had not been walking with God, if I was not filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah, okay, God might have turned up because God's good, loving, and kind. But the thing is, we, when we learn to live in the realm of the Spirit, in the dimension of the Spirit, there are times when we can just call on God and he's there. He's there to strengthen. He's there to help. And it is the Spirit who gives us an awareness that we are living in a supernatural dimension. And uh, so when we are filled with the Spirit, we are giving, being given the Spirit as a guarantee. We are living in that dimension, that realm of the supernatural Heaven has come to earth in us, but we haven't got the full story yet. So, um, as Fanny Crosby puts it in her hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We have got, not the whole thing yet, but we have got the foretaste. And so, that is the realm and dimension in which we live. So, we should never, ever be caught out. There is no situation we are in where the devil has the, has the upper hand. So we are given the Spirit as a guarantee, and he is within us. Now, there are some other wor um, words that express uh, this whole sense of living a supernatural lifestyle. In Galatians 5, Paul twice says that we are to walk in the Spirit, and one of the words for walk there is the Greek word peripateo, which simply means to walk about. So you walk about in the spirit, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So if you're stuck in a ja traffic jam, you don't get cross, you walk in the spirit. You keep calm. Not easy, especially if you're like me in your temperament. But that's, that, that's how we draw on the Spirit. The whole round of life's activities are with the help of the Spirit. And the other word that's used means to keep in step with the Spirit. Now we do that out of relationship with others, so we keep in step with other people and maintain our life in the Spirit. So we have all the gifts of the Spirit at our disposal so that we can live in that supernatural dimension. So I find actually sp spending a lot of time speaking in tongues 
just builds up the sense of the Holy Spirit within me. Now, you don't understand what you're saying when you're speaking in tongues, but Paul says your spirit is built up. Your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit is built up. Um, there are revelation gifts that come, um, discerning of spirits, wisdom, word of knowledge. Sometimes in situations that we may find in everyday life, that those gifts of the Spirit can be used to unlock situations with neighbors, with friends, with uh, people, acquaintances that we may know in, in the workplace, all kinds of situations like that. And then there are power gifts, healing, miracles, faith. Jared, was, Jared Cooper was saying that this morning that, that uh, there are more healings going on in the streets. I know that there are people who go out into the street and pray for words of knowledge and talk to people about healing. I, I was standing at the bus stop and uh, there was a man next to me and I just looked at him and God spoke to me about him. And I said to him, are you ill? And uh, he said, uh, yes, I am actually. I'm very ill. I've just had an operation. And uh, I said, well, this may sound a bit strange. I'm a, a Christian pastor and I pray for people, and they often get healed. Would you like me to pray for you? He said, oh, yes, please. So I just prayed for him at the bus stop. Now, I don't know what happened, but I did it. Now, we can find that in everyday situations, we can do that. We can ask God to help us to do that. So um, there, there are the gifts of the Spirit that are, are given for us. So we live in a supernatural dimension just to say that there will be some gifts of the Spirit that you will function in. So I know that I function in prophecy. I know I function in discerning of spirits. I know I function in um, certain kinds of healing. I know that I function in the whole area of um, uh, interpreting tongues. I know that they are gifts that I've got. There are other gifts that I wouldn't say that I'm operating in them, but I know if I was in a situation where they were needed, I could draw on them. So please don't think tongues, got that one. You know, prophecy, got that one. Interpretation of tongues, that's a revelation one. Got that one, I'm a sergeant now. No, it's, it's not like that. The, all the gifts of the Spirit are there for us, available for us. And remember, you know, when Jesus used the gifts of the Spirit, so when he performed this miracle of turning the water into wine, um, what, what he was doing there was in an everyday situation doing what was appropriate for that situation. And so you will find in everyday situations, if you are living a life in fellowship with the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit and uh, honoring the Spirit, in all that you do, you will find that God will open up situations where you can draw on all the resources of heaven to equip you and help you and bring revelation, a word of wisdom, and God can use you. So the gifts of the Spirit are not just for the meeting, they are for life. So Jesus, when he used, uh, well, you remember the story of the woman at the well, how he meets this Samaritan woman and engages her in conversation and immediately has a word of knowledge 
about her moral life. And Jesus puts his finger on something in her life that needs sorting out. It was in an everyday kind of situation. So you can use the gifts of the Spirit in that way. Now, there is a quality of life in the Spirit, and it's important that we allow the Spirit to work character in us to give those gifts credibility. So there is a character in which the gifts of the Spirit operate, and that is the reason why 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Because a, a lot of people have looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and seen the importance of love, which Paul is actually emphasizing very strongly, but he's not emphasizing love at the expense of the gifts of the Spirit. What he's saying is that love and hope and faith and character, those things, are important because those are the motivations for the gifts of the Spirit to actually operate. So if you love people, you will want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And so we maintain those gifts of the Spirit by our fellowship with God and with our fellowship with one another. Now I want to try and earth this now by talking um, a little bit more in a focused way about how we use these gifts evangelistically. Okay, so the third point really is extending the kingdom. Now, Rosie and I try to live our life by these principles. We don't always do it as well as we could do, but we've got these principles in mind and we try and keep them together. So um, if you are jotting things down, there are 10 words beginning with C. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I, like, I so identified with some of the things that Jared was saying this morning about thousands of meetings and conferences and so on. You know, don't, don't you long for evangelistic breakthrough? I mean, to be honest, I, I mean, we've done well in the last 30 or 40 years with the restoration of the church. We've done well with a few people saved on Alpha. It's been good. But don't you really, really long for breakthrough? And don't you get frustrated when you try and witness or you try and bring somebody to Alpha and, you know, they come for one week and then they don't come anymore and uh, you, you try and witness to people and all you seem to get is, is a blank wall? I mean, that is the situation that we are in. It is tough. It is tough. And Paul talks about an in-season time and an out-of-season time. And he says, oh, I'm going for it out-of-season and I'm going for it in-season. Now, I believe that the out-of-season time is ending. I really do. And I, I sense that there is a hunger out there. And all I would say to you is, if you've tried and not got very far, don't give up. Keep going. And so I'm going to give you these principles, and if you see the Holy, feel the Holy Spirit involved in these principles, you, you'll find that God will start to give you some success. So what, one of the problems it, with evangelism that I grew up with, it was a bit like grabbing a bag of seed, you know, because I used to be an open-air preacher, um, 
And uh, it was like grabbing a bag of seed and chucking it up in the air and seeing where it fell. Um, and uh, it didn't usually fall anywhere very much. And um, it, it's, it's important that we understand the principle of seeds actually growing in good ground. So the preparation of people's lives is important for planting seeds. So how do we do that? So the first word, quite simply, is make contact. Make contact. Make contact with people. Pray and have your eyes open for people that you can make contact with. Now, um, I'll use as an illustration um, the man in the paper shop where I used to buy my paper when we lived in Brighton. I used to walk down the road and uh, he, he was uh, a, a, an Asian guy and uh, he, you know, I could just give him my money, buy, buy the paper and go home. After a little while, I began to think, I need to talk to this guy. So I made contact with him. And uh, it was simply over critic, cricket. I noticed that he played for the local cricket team, so I enjoy cricket. So I just started about cricket. So contact leads to conversation. So engage people in conversation. Now, I am not very good at this. Rosie is brilliant at it. I'm in the supermarket queue. You know, we'll, we'll be queuing up and, you know, I'll just want to pay the money and get out. You know, Rosie will be telling this lady at the checkout all about what the food's going to be for and how she's going to cook it and how many people we're going to be having to. Say, Come on, let's go. But no, she's, she's good at conversation. Some people are good at it. Latch on to them and help them, get them to, to help you. I, I work, I have to work hard at it. Some people are good at it. If you're a person who's good at it, use it to engage people. Um, and if you're not very good at it, practice, okay? So from contact, you move to conversation, and from conversation to move, you move to communication. So with my friend in, in the uh, paper shop, I noticed one day when I went into the paper shop that there were some really horrendously graphic magazines in a very prominent place and uh, it was like um, I mean they're, they're often there in news agents but these particular pictures were incredibly offensive and I just said to him um, well I was, going, I was going to say something to him and then I stopped I thought no I'm not going to go for the jugular here I went home and I wrote him a letter and I said, I really enjoy coming into your shop. And I've noticed what a good father you are. Now, he is a Hindu. Okay? I noticed that you are a really good father. I've noticed that your boys are in school uniform. You send them to a good school. I noticed that as a Hindu, you have similar family values to me as a Christian when it comes to raising your... So I was affirming in the letter... And um, at the end, I said, and in view of that, do you think it's appropriate to have on public display pictures like you had on your magazine rack? I had a letter back from him, and it was very warm, it was very appreciative, and the magazine rack was changed. 
So what was I doing? I was communicating with him, not condemning him. I was communicating, I was opening up conversation, which led to more conversations. He would talk about his Hindu faith, I would talk about my Christian faith. Now, I would love to say that he became a Christian. No, he didn't. But what I was doing was trying to develop a lifestyle where I was moving from contact to conversation to communication. So anyway, um, next to this shop was a, another shop um, which had a rather nice wine selection. And I occasionally went in there. And one day I walked in and the guy and where I'd applied these principles, his name was Jerry, he said, said to me, out of the blue, Dave, do you know anything about healing? So uh, I thought, why has he asked me that? I'd never spoken to him about Christianity or what I did, N nothing at all. I don't know where the question came from. He said, do you know anything about healing? I said, well, actually, yes, I do. He said, do you know anybody who does it? I said, well, why are you asking? He said, well, I've got this thing in my, on my leg and uh, the doctors don't know what it is and I'm a bit anxious about it. So I said, well, I pray for sick people and sometimes they get healed. Jerry, would you like me to pray for you? He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, but Ralph would. Now, Ralph was the other guy who was serving. He was a young guy, young Brightonian, typical young 20-year-old Brightonian. And uh, as I looked at Ralph, I said, so uh, what's wrong, Ralph? Tears welled up in his eyes and he said, I've got this pain in my back and uh, I'm really worried about what it is because the doctors don't know. And immediately, I just felt able to say to him, well, I pray for people with bad backs and they usually get healed. They nearly always get healed. Would you like me to pray for you? He said, oh, yes, please. So they put the close sign on the door we went out the back to the stock cupboard. I sat him down on the chair and he got one leg longer than the other. And the Spirit of God came on him and his leg grew. Now, I would love to say that that guy got saved. I don't know what happened to him. I didn't see him much after that. But the next day I went into the shop and the lady who was serving there wasn't, hadn't been there the day before. The shop was now full of customers she said, oh, I didn't know you healed people. You healed Ralph yesterday. I said, well, it wasn't me. It was Jesus who did it. And suddenly, in a shop full of people, I was able to communicate the gospel. Now, what is that doing? It's doing what Jesus did at Cana of Galilee. It was in a real-life situation and being aware of who God is so it wasn't going in with a big black Bible telling people that they're going to a lost eternity and they need eternal life. It was coming and bringing the life of the kingdom and actually plowing the ground of people's lives. Now, I don't know what fruit is going to come out of that. I've no idea what fruit is going to come out of that. And often you find when you do this, you are a link in a chain. And remember that God is sovereign and he will often have his hand on people and put them in links of a chain and get them connected with others. 
Now that is why you need the power of the Holy Spirit to make you aware, to make you sensitive, to make you thinking, now how can I, how can I bring the kingdom? You've been given the Holy Spirit to bring you into the reality of the eternal kingdom. That is the dimension in which you live. So when you live in it, do all you can to draw others into it. Another um, C from contact, conversation, communication, community. Now, I don't know if you realize this, your presence as a church is an evangelistic testimony. Just the fact that you are together as a people. You know, when Peter gives his great description of the church, you are a chosen race, a royal nation, a people for God's own possession. It's one of the great New Testament descriptions of, of the church. He then goes on to say, that you may declare his excellencies. So that's 1 Peter 2. Now, it's very interesting. The word declare there is the same word that would be used for making a declaration to an enemy or psyching out an opponent or bringing truth to somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. Now, what is Peter saying there? He is saying, you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. You are a royal priesthood. This is a description that you may proclaim it, that you, your peoplehood is a testimony. So over the years, I've had all sorts of problems with my teeth. And I'd got a dentist who was an absolute pagan. And uh, he, he knew I was um, one of the elders at the church um, up around the corner from where his dental practice was. And what he used to do, he'd get the drill poised and then he'd come out with something outrageous that he knew I wouldn't be able to answer because I was just about to have my tooth drilled. Now, I, I knew that he was interested in music, classical music. And at that time at CCK, I used to put on a regular concert with classical music. One of the things we did, we did come and sing Handel's Messiah with people who believe what they're singing. So we had a choir of 200, a, an orchestra, and um, we did the Messiah, invited lots of non-Christians to come. It was great when we did the Hallelujah Chorus because all the Christians were singing the Hallelujah Chorus with their hands in the air. It was wonderful. It was great worship. Anyway, he came to one of our musical events. So I gave him a ticket. He came, and the next week I had to have an appointment. So I went in to, you know, in fear of trembling of the dreaded drill again, and I said, did you enjoy the concert? He didn't answer the question. What he said was, there were four or 500 people in that room. They all seemed to know each other. They all seemed to get on well together. They were happy. They were, they were joyful. He said, what was it about them that made them like that? <laughs> so I, I don't think I had my teeth done that day. I spent my whole appointment sharing the gospel with him. So community speaks. So when we are together as Christians, get non-Christians involved with you because there is a fellowship of the Spirit. Paul says in Philippians 2, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, 
any fellowship of the Spirit. So your fellowship, not in the Spirit in the sense that it's me and the Spirit, but your fellowship, one with another, in the realm and dimension of the Spirit, is an attraction to others. It speaks. It's a testimony. Now, Rosie and I have got some friends at the moment who are Chinese, and we've made friends with, with them, and we are beginning to make some inroads into the Chinese community. And uh, we, we've got um, two Chinese ladies doing Alpha, and we've m managed to find a Mandarin speaker to come in, and, and get, who's a Christian, to come in and speak with them. And we've found, and this is the brilliance of Alpha, the Alpha courses with the Mandarin subtitles. Now, food plays a big part in that. So the next word is cuisine, community and cuisine. People like eating. And, you know, if you put on food, people will come. And don't think that when you do it that you've got to kind of make it so alpha that you've got to have some sort of talk or even say grace. Okay, just have food just to make friends with people. And, you know, Jesus was not the acquaintance of sinners. He was the friend of sinners. And that's the difference. So cuisine is a good one. Now, the next one is a spiritual thing, and that is, this is really important, compassion. Because in the end, it is the Holy Spirit who moves within us, who gives us compassion for the lost. And we won't reach the lost unless we've got that compassion. Um, there, there was a great general of the Salvation Army. His name was Albert Osborne. He was uh, the general in the early 50s. And he really was old school Salvation Army, a mighty spirit-filled man. But he was a great hymn writer. And he wrote this hymn, The Saviour of men came to seek and to save the souls who were lost to the good. His spirit was moved for the world which he loved with the boundless compassion of God. But still there are fields where the laborers are few and still there are souls without bread and still eyes that weep where the darkness is deep and still straying sheep to be led. It's a great song. And in the 60s, you know, remember Bob Dylan? And, uh, you know, when uh, Christians, you know, had started to get guitars and got into trouble for it. Well, we, we had a gospel group and we used to sing this song, The Saviour of Men, and we used to sing it to Bob Dylan's great song of protest. And being a senior moment, I've forgotten the title of it. But <laughs> um, what was it? The times they are changing. Yeah. Not, yeah. So we used to sing it to that tune and it used to work. But the chorus said, except I am moved with compassion... How dwelleth thy spirit in me? So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to give compassion. And that then leads to prayer. Now praying for souls, I think, is a lost art in the church. People you are connected with, pray for them. Pray for them by name. So make contact, get into conversation, communicate, let them engage with community, give them some food. Food's always helpful. But then let that turn into compassion. Now, when 
you start praying for people, that's when you find God beginning to move. Now, one of the problems with evangelism, I find, or with people who want to evangelize, is that we often confront too soon. And what happens is people don't reject the gospel, they reject us. So if we do what Jesus did and become friends of sinners and not see people as evangelism fodder, make friends with them, and you'll have the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit working within you and you're drawing on the resources of heaven, you know, God is more passionate about them than you are, okay? So pray for them and pray that they will be moved by the Spirit. So then there comes a point where you do confront because it's not just, friendship evangelism is not just about making friends. Okay? We want to see people saved. And in the end, the gospel is confrontational. So if you've plowed the ground and prepared the ground, the chances are that when you plant the seed, the seed will begin to grow. And so then, that's when you pray for conviction. And so don't look for conversions before there's been conviction. That can often happen. You know, Spurgeon said, a strong conviction leads to a strong conversion. So there's this whole process. Now remember, God is sovereign in all of this, and God is wanting people to be saved. And we are there to do that. So when Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, we're all called to be witnesses. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. And so the Holy Spirit is within us in order that we can be witnesses. So pray uh, for conviction, belief for conversion, and then the final C is continuation you need to see it through. Okay, so to draw this to a bit of a conclusion, just one or two other stories. Um, a few years ago, uh, the eldership team at, at CCK in Brighton uh, asked me if I would head up the evangelism in the church. I, I did a lot of the pastoral work and, and preaching regularly on Sundays, but they, they said, Dave, we really want you to get involved with evangelism. So I said, okay, if you're asking me to be, in, be involved in the evangelism, please don't ask me to do anything church-wise on a Friday night, because Friday night is a night when sinners go out and do things. Okay? So I, I want to keep Friday night clear so that I can engage with non-Christians. So... Uh, in the little blurb that was uh, read out, um, um, I'm a jazz trumpeter, okay? I actually am a classical trumpeter, but I'm, I'm a jazz trumpeter in disguise, really. Um, so uh, I thought, well, how do I use my musical skills evangelistically? So I joined a big band, you know, 18-piece swing band, and... Uh, joined the band, and uh, Friday nights for several weeks, I was going along to this big band, playing trumpet, enjoyed it, it was great, got to know some of the guys, we'd go for a drink at the interval, chat a bit, and gradually it came out that I am actually a church pastor. 
So nobody kind of worried about that particularly. Anyway, we had a gig, and um, this, uh, the, this we're, we're all kind of arriving for the gig. And the trombone, one of the trombone players, four trombones in a big band, and this guy, a lead trombone player, great player, comes in, and he's limping. And uh, he's holding his back. And he says to the musical director, I don't think I can play tonight, Les. I really can't. I can hardly hold my trombone. So uh, I said, Steve, what's the matter? He said, well, either I've put my back out or some, something's really, really wrong. So I said, well, listen, you know I'm a church pastor. He said, yes. <laughs> I said, well, I often pray for people, especially with bad backs, and they usually get healed. So can I pray for you? He said, okay, but can we do it outside? <laughs> so he went outside, sat him down, and he'd got one leg longer than the other. What had happened is he'd, he'd got his body out of alignment because he'd been doing some heavy work. And God met with him, straightened him up, and he was able to play. Now, the interesting thing is that he started coming to Alpha. He played at some Alpha things. His son, Ollie, was the drummer. Ollie got saved, and uh, Steve, I would say, is God-fearing. He hasn't come through to conversion yet, but he is God-fearing. He started going to church. Now, what is that? It's an everyday situation where I was able, in something that I enjoyed doing, just be who I am and pray for him. Now, you can do that. Anybody can do that. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Well, one of the trumpet players in the big band was getting married, and he was the son of the musical director. And um, he said to me, Dave, you play classical trumpet as well as jazz trumpet, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, when I get married, he's not a Christian, he said, we want to get married in a church, and we would like the trumpet voluntary for the bride to come in. Will you play it for us? I said, sure. Yeah, that's okay. So anyway, a couple of weeks later, he said, Oh, we need somebody to play for the signing of the register. Do you think you could play for that as well? So I found these words coming out of my mouth. I said, well, Steve, why don't I write something specially for you? Now, the singer in the big band was a member of our church, girl singer, sung jazz. I said to Kim, why don't we write something with Christian content about what marriage is for this wedding? So we've got some Christian content in it. So she said, yeah, good idea. So Kim and I wrote this thing. She was a good keyboard player. So we did this kind of jazz kind of song. I played a bit of flugelhorn floaty stuff over the top. And um, this song, all, all about marriage. So it came to the uh, wedding rehearsal. So did the trumpet voluntary with the organ. That all went well. And then I said to Steve and the bride, would you like us to perform for you what we're going to do so we played this song well at the end of end of the song the bride was in tears the bride's mother was in tears the bridegroom was in tears. everybody was in tears and Steve said to me why did you do this Dave I said I did it Steve because I'm your friend and that's that's why I did it now the interesting thing is the next week was the wedding and the wedding reception was in one of Brighton's top hotels, the Hotel Metropole, which has this massive area, uh, uh, massive concourse. 
and all the guests were gathered there. Now, the Sunday before, CCK had been on, it wasn't Songs of Praise, but it was uh, the morning BBC service. It's when the BBC had service. And I was leading worship. So um, we'd done that morning service. Now, what I hadn't realized was that the conductor of the band, this guy, Les, who was the father of the bridegroom, had recorded it. So, in the concourse of the Hotel Metropole, and by the way, in, in that service, Terry Virgo had preached a storming gospel message. It was brilliant. So, in the concourse of this hotel, all these people crowded there. And there was uh, like not only the wedding guests, but loads of other people. Les stands up and makes an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Dave Fellingham. He is the pastor of this wonderful church in Brighton who are on the television last week. I am going to be showing this in my home, and he gave a date, and he said, I'm inviting anybody who wants to come to see it. (laughs) I thought, hallelujah, (laughs) Les is doing my evangelism. So what, what am I doing? I'm just being who I am, filled with the Spirit, doing what Jesus did when he turned the water into wine, just going to a wedding, seeing a need, meeting the need. It becomes a sign, a sign of the kingdom. Now, you can do that. And, you know, all the gifts of the Spirit are there for you to help you do that. Let me just close by telling one one story about the supernatural. We live in a supernatural dimension. And don't just think, you know, that the, su- the supernatural is for, you know, like weird prophets who wear sandals. Okay, it's not like that. We can all be prophetic. Um, I had a very dear friend. Her name was Laurie. I'm um, beautiful singer. I've known her since she was 15, baptized her. And um, she raised four lovely girls, her and Steve, lovely church family, but Laurie was a brilliant operatic soprano, and she used to sing in uh, concerts that I I would put on. Um, She was one of the main soloists when I conducted Handel's Messiah. Great. And then it would be, uh, suddenly she was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, she got in touch, and, uh, sorry? It was about four years ago. Um, She got in touch, to say that, that she'd been diagnosed with le- leukemia. Would I pray for her? I said, of course I'll pray for you, Laurie. So I prayed for her, the church prayed for her. And it was quite remarkable because she really, really believed God was going to heal her. Um, but the leukemia got worse and she would have times of uh, remission. But it got to July um, and it was two years ago, it got to July, and uh, by now I'd moved up to the church in Horsham. She knew that I was going to be preaching. She came that Sunday because she wanted to hear me preach. So she, she came, and she came back to our house, and she was very, very ill. And uh, she said, I'm still praying for healing. I said, yep, we're still going for healing, Laurie. But I said, are you prepared for eternity? She said, yes, I'm prepared for eternity as well. She said, actually, I'm in a win-win situation. But she was believing that God was going to heal her. 
Well, we get to September and it is pretty desperate. And then it is quite clear that unless there is a dramatic miracle, she's going to go to glory. And uh, I got the phone call. I, I was spoke to her on the phone and it was the day before she died. And as I spoke to her on the phone, I was in Spain and she'd already planned that I would speak at her funeral. Um, I was in Spain and um, I spoke to her on the phone and I said, Laurie, I'm still praying for your healing. And she went, because she couldn't speak. And then I said, Laurie, but I believe you really want to be with Jesus now, don't you? And she went, over the phone. Well, she did die within the next few hours. Now, I was, I was heartbroken, really, and, uh, as we all were. But that night, I had this vision, and it was incredible. Her four daughters are all brilliant singers. And I saw these four daughters standing over her and singing over her. Laurie singing and her husband Steve singing. And as they were singing over her, four angels came into the room. And honestly, this is as real as you are sit sitting in front of me. Four angels came into the room and started singing with them. And then... One took hold of one leg and one the other and one an arm and the other an arm. And these four angels lifted her out with everybody singing and lifted her into this amazing light with all these angels who were all singing that song. And like she was carried into glory and then she was carried into this amazing light and it was as though God said, you're not seeing anymore now when you live supernaturally that is the world you live in and it takes away fear of death and sometimes God breaks in and there's amazing healings and God give us more of that there will be supernatural activities when your car's stuck across a road as mine was and you know an angel has pushed you out it's great that's amazing the Holy Spirit is given so that we can have great, powerful, mighty anointed meetings, great preaching, healings, deliverance, the whole bang shoot, great worship, all of that, prophetic words that expose and open up and set the way forward, tongues and interpretation that give us great revelation, great understanding of the, the heart of God, words of knowledge that open up situations. But mums, at the school gate. It's the same God, it's the same Holy Spirit. Working in that office where the work's getting locked in and you don't know the way forward, same Holy Spirit can give a word of knowledge. That situation you're in where you, your neighbor is really struggling with life, same Holy Spirit, same gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given so that we can live our lives so that we can be like Jesus at Cana of Galilee and turn what is mundane, what is ordinary, into the sparkling new wine of the Spirit, bringing life, vitality. Amen? Amen. There haven't been any time for questions, but I told you I was like a train when I get going. Okay, so I hope that's been helpful.
Now, I just want to encourage you, you know, during the rest of this time here, you know, great ministry this morning, many people being freshly filled with the Spirit. The day's not over. So that's going to be the application of the word. Go for it. Thank you so much, Dave. I mean, inspirational and so practical as well. That's excellent, excellent, excellent. We've now got a 15-minute break until we're back in here again for Jared's session in the afternoon. So if you want to grab yourself teas and coffees and then come bring him back to your chair and then we're ready to go again. Thank you ever so much. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.